Hi, I'm Peggy, the AMT mommy. And I'm Dave, the bionic blogger. And this is Amped, the podcast for people with limb loss. Hey, Dave, how are you? I'm great, Peggy. How are you today? How was your first week post-Patriots? Patriots, I don't know. Beating? My, I'm looking my for a better morning. word, but I just went blank. Um, it was not the best sports week for me, obviously. Yeah. It was disappointing. It, it was, was a, I mean, it was, me. a, it was a widely entertaining game, but, um, you know, I wish the other team had won, but it did make for some good tweeting. It did. And I wrote, you, you didn't respond to my blog. I did. I sent it out to you on Twitter. I dedicated oh, it so, to you. I know. I know you did. And I apologize. But if you want the honest truth. After the Patriots lost, I said, I, I'm not going to go on social media for base. I'm not going to go on Twitter all week. Okay. And I didn't until Friday. I just right. never went. Friday Friday morning when I told you I'm ready to pay up was the first time I saw the post that you put up on Tuesday. Okay. All right. Don't take I, it personally. I did have it was you in me. mind when I wrote that to try to you know soothe sore feelings a little bit on how much it really meant to Philly. So. No, no sore. F- Listen, no sore feelings on my end. As a Patriots fan, it, it would be kind of piggish to complain about the fact that you've lost the Super Bowl when they've won as many as they have right. over the last seventeen years. So, I'm good. I'm good. All I right. just didn't want to subject myself to uh, to the Twitterverse. Totally understand. All right, but we do have some good news. You had bad news this week. I had good news with the Eagles, but we both have good news this week for the community. Yes, so we do. It's, it's exciting to actually come with a podcast to a result of a call to action that actually, you know, re, uh, resulted in very positive outcome for the entire limb loss community. And Imagine in that. August, I know, I know. In August 2017, we issued a call to action for S1191, which was to have the prosthetist notes included in the medical records, correct? That is right. Yes. And we had we had wonderful draft emails to, to mail to your sen to email to your senators to support this because we felt that including the the documentation from the actual individuals who are trained and versed in prosthetics included in the medical record and to be included in the decision making process and considered was definitely a win for the amputee community. And uh, so we AMPT proudly supported that effort. Um, the bill was also to protect amputees from unqualified providers, but that's, we had a win, but not a, not a, we didn't knock it out of the park. Correct, Dave? Well, I wouldn't say we didn't knock it out of the park. I think that events kind of uh, dictated what the strategy was, and we should go into that. Um, so let's let's revisit some history here, just so people understand the context in which this is all occurring. So back in August of 2011, so six years ago, uh, the DME Max, the entities that Medicare contracts with to process Medicare claims, published a very famous in the world of prosthetics letter called the Dear Physician Letter. And it was a letter that was written to physicians saying, among other things, that, quote, since the prosthetist is a supplier, the prosthetist records must be corroborated by the information in your patient's medical record. It is the treating physician's records, not the prosthetists, which are used to justify payment. 
end quote. And what was going on here was the DME Max were saying, because a supplier, the prosthetist, has a financial interest in the outcome of a claim, we're not going to let their records dictate whether or not an item is medically necessary. You have to get that from a physician. Now, that creates enormous issues because physicians are not experts in prosthetics. They don't know what to document. Um, And what happened shortly after the Dear Physician letter got written was that guidance then got incorporated into claim payment policy. And so uh, the what, what is what used to be part of the local coverage determination for prosthetics, what is now a separate document just around coverage guidelines generally for uh, medical devices for Medicare, uh, changed their language to say supplier-produced records, even if signed by the prescribing physician and attestation letters, are deemed to not be part of a medical record for Medicare payment purposes. So anything that the supplier generates isn't part of the medical record. And what that meant- Supplier, me- again, being prosthetist. Right. Supplier refers to prosthetists and, and other whole range of other people because as when well. Because you, when you use the word supplier, I think the lay, the lay community thinks of, you know, like um, the, the wholesalers who deliver your shower chairs and your- your walkers and crutches and that sort of thing. Right. And in not highly trained individuals. Right. And you've just highlighted what has been sort of a key flashpoint between prosthetists and orthotists on the one hand and Medicare on the other for the better part of 20 years now, because prosthetists and orthotists get lumped in for Medicare purposes with DME company, durable medical equipment suppliers um, from the perspective of the, the, the part of Medicare that uh, results in payments to those entities um, is labels all of those companies and individuals suppliers, even though prosthetists and orthotists are very different from people who are delivering crutches. Um, Exactly. So um, the result of all of this history back in 2011 is that prosthetist notes couldn't be used to show medical necessity by themselves. And on top of that, you had private payers adopting the Medicare standards. So this bled well beyond the Medicare patient population. And if you've been, if you've, been a prosthetic user for since this time this is when things really started becoming wonky with with prosthetic claims and having to go from your prosthetist to your doctor and the patient really started being put in the middle as kind of the communicator and the go-between between these two different specialists in order to try to get what they wanted right so do you want to talk more specifically about the, the different problems that this causes when medicare interprets this this way so the the prosthetist notes couldn't be used to provide medical necess- that to prove that it was medically necessary a certain device. However, the prosthetist is the one who has the the very specialized training. I know my family doctor who writes my prescriptions for my prosthetic components and sockets and liners and all of that doesn't know, you know, the different feet and the intricacies of the different suspension systems and what I really need based upon my limb and my activity. That comes from the prosthetist. But what I'm forced to do is I'm in that situation now where I have to take the information from my prosthetist and deliver it to my to my physician and make him sit down and actually put it in the medical record, which is a whole other obstacle for for many patients, including myself, um, trying to get the doctor to actually write it the way 
that it needs to be written in order to be approved by the insurance company because I know, you know, from from my experience, Dave, my doctor has actually kind of been turned off a little bit by it and was very frustrated that I was telling him how to document in his notes. So then you have to kind of deal with with kind of professional ego in a way. And that's that's not a comfortable situation for a patient to be put in. No. And, and what you're describing is very common. And while you're doing all of that, what's not happening? You're not getting what you need, right? You're hobbling around on a prosthetic that isn't working or liners that have holes or an ill-fitting device, an ill-fitting socket because you're forced to make all of these appointments and schlep your kids or they miss school or you miss work. I mean, it's a whole, it's a whole production now in order to get simple prosthetic componentry that is kind of a no-brainer, right? You're an amputee, you use a, you know, a lower limb prosthesis, you're going to need a liner. You've always used this liner, this is a liner that works for you, but now all of a sudden, you know, the fact that that the liners which wear out because you're using them, it wore out, so now you have to go to your medical doctor and have it documented. It's just it's a huge production. I, I, it frustrates me to no end. Yeah. So you get these delays in care that result, you get this uncomfortable situation where patient uh, is put in the middle between the prosthetist and the, the physician. Uh, it's just not a great situation. So what happened between 2011 and today? Well, actually, um, S1191, the Senate bill that you referenced earlier, Peggy, um, different versions of that have kicked around and, and uh, different organizations have been trying to advance that uh, through Congress uh, since you know 2011. But finally, in 2017, um, the current version, S1191, uh, was brought to the Senate floor. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say it was brought to the Senate floor. It was introduced in the Senate. Uh, and unfortunately, back in May, when it was introduced, it didn't get moved forward. It simply was referred to the Senate Finance Committee, and it kind of just languished there. But fast forward less than a year. In January, um, as the uh, as the government, the first government shutdown is threatened, um, AOPA and the ONP Alliance. AOPA is the uh, American Orthotic and Prosthetic Association, and the ONP Alliance is the group of organizations, uh, in addition to AOPA, that work together on big issues affecting the ONP industry. Made a tactical decision to take the physician note piece out of S1191, separate it from the rest of the bill, and attempted to attach it to new spending legislation that was going to keep the government open, what was called the Medicare Extenders Package. And the idea in doing this was let's take the piece of, uh, let's take the element of S1191 that's causing the most pain for prosthetists today. And And for patients. Yeah, and let's let's try to fix that. Um, And so, a strategic decision was made to focus on the physician's notes, and this left the provider qualification piece on the sidelines. So this strategy specifically does not address the issue of ensuring that only qualified providers get paid by Medicare, which was the other really important part of S1191. Uh, and that's a decision that was made. Uh, and as as our friend Peter Thomas uh, said in an announcement um, that's available on uh, on NAAOP's website, um, he said, you know, we'll fight this one on another day. Exactly. 
Exactly. That's why I said when we introduced the, the podcast that it, it wasn't that we kind of hit it out of the park because hitting it out of the park, in my view, would have been the entire package being adopted. We got a huge part of it. Um, and, and it's going to be a part that, that, you know, is really going to impact greatly the quality of, of care and the timeliness of care and, the, and diminish, hopefully, the frustrations attached to receiving prosthetic care in the current situation. Right. So the language that was actually attached to the current legislation uh, says the following, for the purposes of determining the reasonableness and medical necessity of orthotics and prosthetics, documentation created by an orthotist or prosthetist shall be considered part of the individual's medical record to support documentation created by eligible professionals described in section 1843 K3B. Don't need to know what section 1848K3B is, but essentially what they're saying is medical uh, prosthetist notes shall be considered part of the individual's medical record. And that can now be considered as part of the medical necessity analysis when reviewing a claim. So Dave, let me ask you, since that basically impacts Medicare specifically, how long will that take to trickle down to private insurers? Well, so private payers... Um, update their medical policies, um, sometimes on an annual basis, but sometimes more frequently than that. Um, when It'll kind of depend on just sort of how this change bleeds into uh, the public awareness. And that, that's going to be a significant part of this. But um, I would expect that for those payers who follow Medicare payment policy, they may not need to change much of anything because to the extent that they say we follow Medicare coverage policy, there's a very strong argument that Medicare coverage policy is now changed as a result of this. And so it may actually get incorporated sort of, you know, implicitly because the language in some of these medical policies may be broad enough uh, for those that for those medical policies, private payer policies that may, may be more specific or, or may not reference Medicare at all. Um, you could see lag times of six to 12 to maybe as much as 18 months. But my guess is that especially for the larger payers that cover the majority of people, um, you're going to see, uh, you're going to see this language either implicitly or, or explicitly incorporated into those medical policies within the next 12 months. Okay, that that's good to know. Uh, and I, but I think that most policies. I, I'm thinking of my own. Mine will go off of what Medicare does. So, considering that this was passed on February eighth on Friday, and then signed into law on the same day, um, that that this is now the law. Well, correct? so that's an interesting question. But before this we answer that, I want to go back one step, and let's let's then circle back to your question. Okay, it's important to remember that. In the private pay world, um, as a practical matter, this is this is a, a bit less of an issue for one simple reason, and that is most private payers require a claim to get prior authorization anyway. And so the reason that that corroborating documentation and the absence of documentation from uh, a prosthetist notes being able to be part of the medical record becomes such a big deal is that Medicare doesn't require prior authorization. In fact, the prosthetist has to deliver the item before he or she can bill for it. And so the risk for a prosthetist, if a claim doesn't get paid, is much higher. They've already paid for the device. They've already delivered it to the patient. And the patient has walked out the door with it. 
So um, when you look at sort of the where the pressure points are between different payers, the risk for, for a prosthetist dealing with Medicare is much higher in general than the risk of dealing with private payers because if there's if there's confusion about whether or not there's enough medical documentation in the private pay world, well, guess what? That's presenting itself typically before the claim gets authorized. And so uh, if there's an issue there, it means there's a delay in care, but the prosthetist hasn't purchased the product and put it on the patient yet. So it's not, it's not ideal, but okay. from the prosthetist perspective, there's less risk. So gotcha. circle back now. Your question was restated for me. No, it wasn't really a, a question. It was just a, a statement that the bill was signed into law on the same day, which is Friday, February is, 8th. The spending, yeah, so, the spending bill yes. was, was signed into law on February 8th. Now, the question then becomes, you know, when does it take effect? And the answer to that is, well, it's not 100% clear because the statutory provision uh, pulled out of S1191 doesn't have an effective date attached to it. Uh, but and this is not based just on my analysis, but others in the, in the industry, including, again, I'll mention uh, Peter Thomas, who's uh, you know a, a really uh, really skilled lawyer who has worked on these issues for much longer than I have. And um, I think the consensus among experts is that prostitutes should be arguing that because the adoption of the S1191 language is simply clarifying already existing Medicare policy. It applies today, and it also applies to any pending claims that are out there. So if there's an open claim, an open Medicare claim, and this issue comes up, there is a good argument that this just clarifies Medicare policy, and now that governs that claim, even if it hasn't been adjudicated yet. Okay. But what this does not mean is it does not mean that the physician notes are now irrelevant or unnecessary. All this means is that the prosthetist notes are included and considered during yeah, the review and you, process. I, you correct? have hit upon maybe the most important point here. And the one that I can tell you um, in the wake of the news breaking on Friday, that a lot of, a lot of people in the profession, including prosthetists, uh, maybe misunderstanding, and it's a dangerous thing to misunderstand. Um, I know that we had people uh, speaking to prosthetists who who came to them and said, "Oh, guess what? Now I don't need the physician's notes anymore." And that's not what this means. All, all it means is that exactly. the prosthetist notes now get standing uh, in kind of the same way. They're given the same kind of weight that a doctor's notes are given. But I'll tell you this: if I have a claim and the, I'm a prosthetist and I document that the patient is a high functioning patient who does all of these activities and therefore needs product X, Y, and Z and, and a new socket. And the physician's notes indicate that this person is in a nursing home and with uh, congestive heart failure and isn't walking at all. Guess what? The doctor's notes matter in that scenario. Medicare is not going to pay that claim until exactly. there is some uh, alignment between what the physician is saying and what the prosthetist is saying, or um, they'll simply deny the claim. But it's still it's still a good thing for the community to have the experts who have been trained in these devices and in prosthetic care specifically to have their their 
expertise acknowledged and included no in question. the medical Because if, if it's, it's not, you end up in the situation we've already described what the problems are. Imagine for a second that um, your physician, Peggy, documents your needs, but because he or she doesn't understand prosthetics very well, simply does it in a somewhat ambiguous way. You know, they, they're... <laughs> yeah, I don't have so, to imagine that, Dave. I live that. And what happens is it gets denied, and then I have to make another appointment with another doctor who is used to working with in the field of prosthetics, who will then write the prescription exactly how I needed it written in the first time. And if my doctor had listened to me and, and read the information that I provided that was on the AMPT website, I wouldn't have to have driven into D.C., with my, you know, very temperamental little toddler who was not pleased about being taken away from the cartoons for the afternoon. Um, I mean, I live that. Yeah. that that's and, been my experience you know, so the, far. And just to be clear, you said one thing. You said prescription. And actually, just so we're completely precise here with our language, we're really talking about the clinical notes. Because the prescription, the physician's prescription, we, we don't exactly. have to go into it, but technically under Medicare regs, the prescription is not part of the medical record at all, even though that is written by the physician and signed by the physician. Right. So take the prescription out. I'm just talking about prosthetist notes. You're absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I meant notes. I meant that, you know, my, my doctor, you know, noted that I was an amputee, but failed to note what right. level so of amputation when you have I had notes that are ambiguous side. under the old policy, everything before February 8th, you couldn't look at the prosthetist notes to then say, well, wait a second, Medicare. You know, she's clearly a below the knee exactly. amputee. She's a, a functional level K3 or K4. And therefore, the products that have been prescribed for her and or the, the, the other things that have been prescribed for her and that have been documented, those are valid and the claim should be approved. You had no ability to make that argument if you were the prosthetist before February 8th because Medicare would just say, it doesn't matter what your records say. Your records aren't all that relevant except to establish the fact that you've seen the patients. Um, so now you get this legislation passed. What happens in exactly the same scenario? Now the process can point to their records and say, my records count. And, and I, I've clarified the ambiguity. And if you want to go ask the doctor, go ask the doctor. But this claim should be approved now as is. Exactly. Uh, I'm really hoping that this change, although not knocking it out of the park in terms of, you know, the, the, the qualified aspect that, as Peter said, is a fight for another day. This is definitely, you know, a victory for the amputee community and for the, pro the prosthetists and orthotists. Um, and you, it's definitely, you, I feel like, a step in the right direction. Accurate. And you know, in an ideal world, you get everything you want um, out of a piece of legislation. And the reality is, as everyone knows from having, if, you, if you've spent any time watching politics, not only over the past, you know, 24 months uh, to, you know, but if you've watched it for, you know, the last decade to two decades, w legislation is inherently messy and it's always about compromise and it's always about making strategic concessions. And certainly having this passed into law and not having the qualified provider piece in is immensely better than not having any of it and waiting to try to get it all rammed through in one shot. Um, and, you know, again, 
for individuals exactly. loss. The potential here is that it could could in some instances decrease delays in providing care that we've currently experienced. And it may reduce the burden on us as patients to have to act as go-betweens between prosthetists and physicians. Um, and if we if we are asked to do that still, um, the, the, the pressure to do it will probably be slightly decreased. Um, so, you know, there are, there are definitely positive aspects of this that um, hopefully people in, in the AMPED Army and the limb loss, limb difference community more generally will feel in a positive way. And, you know, Dave, I know that a lot of people in the AMPED Army did send the letters um, so I want to thank everybody who did take the time to, to send the emails. Although S1191 didn't go through, you know, having, having the information and having this on the radar of the legislators, I'm sure helped. Um, and it was not, not in vain. And we appreciate the efforts. Compared to the alternative, this is a no win question. for the community. I mean, we, this is, this is something that everyone who, who engaged on it, uh, who took the letters that we wrote back in August and who then, when we, when we pushed this out via newsletter and on all of our social media platforms a few weeks ago, everyone who weighed in on this, it means something. Um, you don't know what specifically pushes it over the top. Um, and I will tell you, I mean, obviously the American Orthotic Prosthetic Association and the ONP Alliance both uh, invested significant amounts of time, effort, money um, into trying to get this done. But the fact that patients are weighing in on this uh, has an enormous effect uh, in the final analysis. And you, you can't say that it was X percent of what made it work versus Y. But I can tell you that if you hadn't done it at all, maybe it doesn't go through. Maybe this resonated with legislators in a way that uh, because they heard from their constituents that it wouldn't have otherwise. Exactly. I would much rather err on the side of the community. It's not even err, but I, I feel like it's better to always have your voice heard than to hold back and expect somebody else to do it, right? So I am proud of, of the community. I'm proud of the Alliance. I thank the Alliance as a community member for all of their hard work on this issue. Um, I think it's going to, it's a good thing for the limb loss, limb difference community. It's a good thing for the orthotists yep, and, and just to piggyback one, one last um, point that you said, in the right direction. Was, you know, no, no piece of legislation ever got passed because people were silent on it. You know, legislation, <laughs> legislation. Exactly. No, 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 no. That's that's you not said the it point. Much but the more point eloquently you, you, you than said I it did, very well. Yes, that's and what I meant. To that say. is, you only will get policy advanced in your favor, particularly if you're not, you know, big money, big corporate America. Uh, you're not going to get legislation passed unless you make your voice heard, and and a lot of people need to do that, and we appreciate. And to that end, we are doing a poll on our website, Dave, um, just wanting to know from the Amped Army how many of you have, have reached out on advocacy issues. Um, have you reached out to your elected officials? It's this very simple yes, no poll, but we'd like to know how many people have, have been engaged on some of hey, these issues. Good segue, So it's baby. ampedpod.com in the community smooth. section. You like that? You know what? I get so All impressed right. well, when we do anything that's remotely help. professional that I feel like we need to acknowledge it explicitly. 
Well, should we summarize this? I know. <laughs> All right. I think we should. Um, so in the spending bill that ended the government shutdown that lasted for, I think, two hours, um, they uh, the alliance managed to attach a bill that gave prosthetists con- – um, gives prosthetists clinical opinions real weight in the claims process. So in other words, the prosthetist notes and documentation is now included in the medical record. This does not mean, and I can't state this enough, this does not mean that physician notes are now unnecessary or irrelevant. You still need to have your limb loss, limb difference issues, and your needs documented in your medical record. Correct. This does yep. not change In that. addition, uh, as a result of this new legislation, uh, it may help reduce unnecessary delays in patient care. Uh, it will hopefully reduce the burden on us, uh, people with limb loss and limb difference, to act as middlemen between uh, the doctor and the prosthetist. And, yeah... And uh, there's an argument that oh, this I is effective so. for current and role. pending claims. In other words, claims that are already sort of in the pipeline but haven't been approved yet. So um, if you're prosthetist and prosthetists, by the way, they're still trying to figure this out. So if you listen to this podcast and you're a Medicare beneficiary or you know your prosthetist just may be confused about this, don't hesitate to share these show notes with your prosthetist and let them know, hey, here's... Here is one take on it by uh, that you know that takes into account opinions besides the the two people here, uh, but you should know this because uh, prosthetists prosthetists are still working their way through this, trying to understand the implications as they should be. Absolutely. So, but in all in all, Dave, it's a good move, and this is a good thing, and it's it's refreshing and exciting to finally have. Um, a legislative issue that's had a really positive movement for the limb loss, limb difference community and for prosthetists and orthotists as a whole. Yes. So hopefully it takes the sting out of your your crushing defeat. Couldn't let me enjoy this, you know, in this pure, pure. I can't. No. This is going to be a year-long thing until the next Super Bowl. Just so you know, the the Wiggles fan so forever. So for those of you who follow us regularly, you'll know really, that um, we day. did put a wager on the Super Bowl. Uh, the ultimate outcome of that wager was that the person whose team lost uh, had to seed their social media account, uh, let, the, let the winner uh, dictate what would go on there. And Peggy, the, the only thing I will say, I mean – I don't want to brag, but you know, you were very polite. You only were planning on really humiliating me with one tweet about my love for the Wiggles, which obviously is not a real thing. But I would just like to say, uh, yes. No, no, I understand. I understand. But I have. But I just want to. I, I will happily take credit for states, the fact that I all. felt you deserved more than that. And so, um, I, I integrated Peggy's tweet into a 10 tweet, a 10 tweet. What would we call it? It wasn't really a tweet storm. I would call it more like a tweet symphony. This was kind of this. It, it was like the Beethoven's night of self-inflicted humiliation. It was. 
It's, you bought the domain to be already. the homepage on DaveLovesTheWiggles.com. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> it hurts. It hurts a lot. But, you know, I have to keep um, it going. I'm paying the piper. <laughs> it, actually, the that would have been, that that been, been better. The only thing that would have been better if the Wiggles had tweeted you back. I would like to say, uh, that I did just, research you know, for those tweets. to a whole new level, but I haven't given up I mean, hope. But well, no, I don't know that. I, my favorite fact was that I one of them, their last name, one of the original names. Wiggles, his last name was Fat, F-A-T-T. Somebody Fat. I don't know why I find that funny. I just do. Yes. Good yes. to know. Yes. Imagine that. Yeah. Okay. Imagine that. And he wasn't, which is ironic. No, that's not a kid. That's my wife. So I hear kiddos God in the background and they're not Knowing mine. that I'm recording. Oh, it's all right. Fine. I'm going to call her out. You know, I'm getting beat up about the Patriots. That's fine. I'm calling out my wife. <laughs> Everyone have a great week. It was good talking to you, Peggy. All right. All right take care. Bye. Good talking to you, too. We'll talk soon. Bye.